0: welcome to cooper talk i'm your host steve cooper and remember i'm only as hip as my guests now to tell you something uh this weekend i had a weird i had a weird experience with customer service and i gotta say it was very it was very good and a lot of times you don't when you deal with two things you don't get good customer service anymore but my phone the galaxy i have the galaxy 5 has not been working lately it's been cutting off it's not even a year old i got it last year actually i got it on right before my birthday So, I I went to the T-Mobile store, and they actually said, well, you know, you give it this, 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 and finally, the guy and I said, well, I have insurance, all this, and they go, have you broken it? Has it fallen in water? I go, well, it hasn't fallen in water, but it's one of the phones that is waterproof, so if it did, it should make a difference. So, they sit there, and they end up, they replaced my phone, and they mailed me a new one. I said to take it down and get it charged to get, like, everything done, and I mail it back. So, I said, that's good customer service for T-Mobile. And then, a while ago, I lost my Fitbit, and I, I tried to make the excuse to Joanne that the reason I've... Been eating crappy and put on a few pounds. It's because I lost my Fitbit. Well, I ran into a guy the other night who had. We always talk about Fitbits. He lost his and he said, "Call and tell him you lost it." And I called. I told him I lost it. It popped out of my little socket thing, which it did. And they replaced it. And I'm getting that tomorrow. So it was one of those weekends that even though things went wrong, customer service went right. And you know what? That's all that counts. Anyway, we have a uh, we have a great we have a great guest today. And he's just he's got one of those names I love to say. It's Tony Amendola. How you doing? Hey. That's such a good name. It's a lot of vowels. Yeah, it's just yeah. it's got that like Amendola. It's, it rolls off the tongue.
1: It does. It does. You know, there's two pronunciations too. Was I right? No, no. You're you did the anglicized pronunciation. But there is no right. Uh, the other one is Amendola. That is, uh, you know, I was corrected by a bishop. You know, I grew up in Amendola. You know, but there was a, a politician, a quite well known. If you're in Italy, you'll see Via Amendola. Uh, he was a communist politician after uh, the war, World War Two. And, uh, so, uh, it's, it's sort of interesting. So some people know me for one part of my life and, or if you're an file, you'll do a Mandela. And if you're, uh, but, uh, you know, in my neighborhood, uh, uh, my, I had a cousin, Johnny Coppola. Okay. You know, <laughs> so I was-
0: know I know, I know a Vinnie Coppola. Do you? Yeah. My girlfriend's Italian. Her name's Joanne Butaro. Yeah. And I'll tell you, it's, 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 I was, I was busted chops about that, but, uh, so, okay. So now, now you grew up in Connecticut. Yeah. Right? Now, now you're you've been an actor you've had a great career now as a kid (laughs) and i mean i'm saying you know what i'm saying now (laughs) you know something yeah hey people (laughs) you're on my show your friends okay now now, now, did you did you always want to be an actor because i know i think you grew up up in a blue collar area and did you always want to be an actor
1: yeah you know it wasn't even on my radar Uh, you know as a matter of fact it was a very blue-collar uh, sort of uh, area of New Haven, uh, uh, right by Pepe's Pizza. It's Worcester Square. Uh, and uh, I sort of got into it in, coll- in In high school, I had a teacher who woke me up, who, an English teacher who sort of, you know, I would coast pretty much. I, I, you know, I was reasonably bright, but I certainly wasn't academically bright, never really paid attention. I sort of sat in the back and did what I needed to do so I could work. When I was in high school, I was working full-time. What were you doing? I was uh, I was uh, running a parking garage beneath okay. the hotel in New Haven called the Park Plaza. This is before that I played basketball, but then when I didn't grow, right. and basketball <laughs> is still my love. But when I didn't grow that wasn't working out, so I went out, you know, wanted a car. I wanted those things and uh, they said, "Sure, go go work. And as long as you didn't get in trouble. As long as you didn't bring shame or, or, or create any kind of ruckus you, you had a really long leash a much longer leash than i would give uh you know my uh you know children uh in,
0: in the sense i was working four to twelve and going to high school so yeah i mean yeah. like we, we worked in high school but it was yeah. never like that maybe yeah. but
1: that's that's a long hours that's long and sometimes you know they made me the assistant manager and what i didn't realize is they didn't, you know they gave me very little more money but it meant if the guy didn't show up, I had to stay 12 to 8. Right. <laughs> so, so now you're calling. You're in high school saying, yeah, I'm going to pull a double shift. And you, your mom's going, are you crazy? What are you doing? Let me talk about this. And we never did because I didn't get in trouble. And, you know. uh, but anyway, uh, so from that, I had a teacher who woke me up. And uh, I ended up applying to uh, college late and literally stumbled. I kid you not, stumbled into an audition in college. In, what, so you, at Temple. No, no, no. This is a. I went to Temple in grad school. Okay, so where did you go in your undergrad? I went to a place, uh, Southern Connecticut State University. Okay, so
0: you went there, and what was your major going to be?
1: My, I was liberal arts at first. I had no idea. I didn't really even belong there, but I just, you know, I I fell into theater because they needed men, and at first it was social, and it was about uh, sort of women. It was about you know hang, the social sort of scene, although. Uh, And then only gradually did I realize, oh my God, there really is something here because oddly it changed me. It made me a much, much better student. My my grades in college were much, much better than my grades in high school because everything was important now. History was important. Psychology was important. Literature was important. It had a place that I could put it uh, because I was interested now in in plays. Um, I, I also, probably the most important thing, in some ways, it was good. I didn't do anything in high school. So, you know, you can pick up bad habits anywhere. But high school, you can really pick up some right. bad habits. Uh, so I didn't do anything. And what ended up happening was, I, growing up in New Haven, literally a 12-minute walk from my house, a walk was Yale Rep and Long Two different, very different Lord theaters with very different aesthetics. So I could see John Lithgow, John Cazale, um, I could see uh, Christopher Walken on stage as an actor. that's who I was seeing in my first place, uh, and then I could see Meryl Streep as a student, okay you know uh, Joe Grafazi, probably an actor you probably don't know, but you know it was there was just a lot of things, but more importantly, Steve, what happened for me is that you know you're out of place, particularly when you come from a, a sort of working class uh, yeah, I was the first one. Okay, and, you know, I I, frankly, you know, I doubted if I belonged there. You know, it was a very different world for me. And uh, what happened with the theaters on a Saturday night when you're, you're sort of, you don't have a date or you're alone or you're wondering what the hell am I doing? You know, anxiety, all those youthful sorts of things. I could walk 10 to 12 minutes in either direction, put down $7 for a student ticket, and enter a world. And it it didn't make a difference what it was, whether, you know, say at Longworth it was a a Scottish or an Irish play, you know, Trelawney of the Wells. What does that Trelawney of the Wells have to do with me, a Panero play? But I could see John Cazale in it. And all I knew was that if I sat in the room with 400 people, that when the play was over, good, bad, or indifferent, I somehow felt better. That there was the point being there was something medicinal about theater. And that's That sustained me on very bad evenings because I I always imagine that, you know, there might be a kid like me out there (laughs) who's putting aside his his,
0: uh, critical judgment and is just there for a new experience. So you went, and so then now, now, as you decide you want to be an actor, because, I mean, and it's great. I mean, it is the experience you had, and especially to be able to walk. I mean, it's like that's something like a lot of times people don't, you know, they don't want to go to certain places, a movie or a theater, because they go, ah, oh, you got to drive, you got to park. But this, it's, you always had that outlet. Right. And so you went there, and so then you just really decided that's what you wanted to do. Well, you,
1: you know, yeah, I and I decided before anyone really believed in it, you know, you know, you get the talk, you know, okay, you're in college now, so... Law or medicine, right? Now that <laughs> I, I did try law, how'd that go? Uh, y- 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 no, nah, it wasn't me. <laughs> I was interested. I mean, who's not interested in constitutional law in, the, in terms of you know? Because that was you know late sixties, uh, early seventies. You know, so uh, that was good. But I I knew it in my heart. It wasn't me. Uh, so I just sort of stuck it out, and and then I, when I when I left uh, school, I realized I needed better training, and I went to Temple in. Uh, in philadelphia and had a you know that was
0: an eye-opener too yeah well we were talking about right yeah. before yeah because everyone knows like the you know Philadelphia's philadelphia 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 is all spread out but the temple it's a little better it's a really bad neighborhood
1: oh well the you know they have three campuses they have a downtown center city that's fine they have uh, one out uh, out in the country which is beautiful and then you have north philly North Billy was, you know, one time I remember my buddy and I, uh, he, he picked up a, you know, $300 car to get us around. We were, and we went back, the car wasn't stolen. It was burned to the ground. It was just completely burned. And I remember we just, you know, I, I all I could do was laugh. You know, he was, he was in complete shock, you know, but that's, you know, it was the smoldering car we came back to, you know, we were doing I don't know, the crucible or something, <laughs> cars on fire. But, uh, you know, that said, it was a wonderful uh, experience. Uh, it was a conservatory environment. We got to do a lot of different plays. But most importantly, I actually, unlike students today, you know, I didn't come out with a ton of debt. So it meant that I could actually, you know, do what I wanted to do. I wasn't didn't have to worry immediately about paying off loans or what am I going to do? I mean, it was pretty much a free ride.
0: I got a scholarship and then a fellowship. So so, so you left when you left Temple, when did you decide to move to New York? Or when did you, how did you right you decide? away. So you just said, I'm done. You were like, I'm not going to screw around. I'm not going to hang out. I'm going straight to New York.
1: Well, you know, I, I wrote something. It's very funny. I still think of it to this day. I was living in this um, uh, Ukrainian neighborhood just above uh, the art museum. And I wrote something on my mirror. And it was uh, professional acting work, East Coast. And that's what I wrote. And, of course, when I graduated school, I had no money. <laughs> so I ended up getting, I was lucky I got some teaching work, both at Temple and at uh, the school in Connecticut, southern Connecticut state. Uh, so I, I would commute between Philadelphia and New Haven. I got my nest egg together. And then I moved into the city. I moved into the city, for anyone who's of any age, on, there was a surprise blizzard in 1978. I mean, it, no one knew. So, uh, you know, I moved in that day. I woke up, and people were skiing down Fourth like, Avenue. <laughs> you, know? you know, it was just a glorious time.
0: That lasted about two days, and then it got really dirty. Uh, you know. So now when you are when you get to New York, where do you start? Do you sit there? I mean, because you're new. You have your, but there's tons of actors. And, you know, it's like anything. You guys are all hustling. Yeah. And it's like in L.A., people can be a little lake be lazy in new york You can't be lazy you you have to get up your ass and make things happen throw a rock hit an actor exactly how how did you where did you start from uh you know what i did was um
1: i uh looked for a kind of community i have friends and i really lucked out because i I took class briefly at hb you know herbert burgoff in utah in that school and uh, I took a couple of classes, but I had uh, done something called uh, Urta auditions in college, and I had gotten work at various uh, Shakespeare festivals. And then uh, one of the ones I turned down because I was still in school was Ashland. Now, if you live on the West Coast and you're, you know, sort of of the uh, training programs, you, you drop everything you're doing and you go to Ashland. Okay. And I remember saying no to Bill Patton, who was uh, the business manager at the time, and I remember him looking at me like. Well, this is refreshing. He just, <laughs> the, the, he's really out of his mind. But I had to finish a project, so I couldn't go. And, and as fate would have it, they, they actually called again. And, and so I was only in New York about two months when I left to go to uh, Ashland for six months. And, uh, and I've never l- gone back to live on the East Coast since. I've always followed the work, and I've worked back in New York, and that's it. Well, what was what was, up uh, Flum- Flumina. Flumina. Yeah. yeah. Filomena is an Eduardo Di Filippo play. A, it's a beautiful play. Uh, do you know Marriage Italian Style, that De Sica film? Marce- Marcello Mastiani. Yeah. And yes, it's the play that film is based on. It's, uh, it's a gorgeous play. And Di Filippo is like, um, he's one of the great playwrights. One of the great, uh, you know, you'll Pirandello. Di Filippo is more of a regional Neapolitan comedy, but it's a comedy with a strong bass note, a real, real powerful bass note. It's not frivolous uh and uh so i did that i actually directed it uh, at in uh in berkeley where i was for many years and then uh, out of the blue i get a chance to play it in uh at williamstown and mo- we moved it to new york
0: and you played it it was for a long time
1: yeah 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 we played it for uh, about three or four months i
0: guess yeah so now now, now you're, you're getting to like the theater and now you're are you traveling more as you do this yeah you know uh I always followed the work, you know. Uh, I was
1: at Ashland for two years, and then it was time to move on because I didn't have my union card at the time. So, and yet I was looking to my left, looking to my right, and my friends were all union, you know. So I thought the uh, producing director Jerry Turner said, "Go out and get your papers," uh, and I did right away. You know, I went up to Seattle, spent a year there, and got my uh, my union card. Did at Seattle Rep, uh, Dan Sullivan, who's quite a wonderful director. Uh, uh, he gave me my union card, and um, and while I was in Seattle, I got a an offer to come and work in Berkeley. And it was a guy Michael Leibert, five years, he said to me, and I laughed. He said, No, no, I'm serious. If we don't like each other, fine. Five years, you come. I'm trying to build a company here, a whole different aesthetic than exists now. Now it's the, you know, it show to show. In many ways, the director is king. Back then, it was, you know, it was about working with a group of people. Uh, and I ended up staying 10. My wife stayed 12 before I came down here because the aesthetic changed, then it was time. Frankly, I wanted to test. You know, I was a modern actor, uh, you know, and I, I wanted to see what film and television. I didn't want to be one of those guys that thought, oh, oh, if I, only I had. So uh, I came down in the late 80s, very, early 90s, really, and uh, it's very interesting in that world because coming from 12 years of rep, even 15 years of rep, you know, you uh, you hear uh, you know producers like, "What the hell are you doing? Why did you do that?" Well, you know, I did it because I wanted. You know, we're fortunate as actors, stage actors, to have a lineage that goes back 2,500 years that we can we can touch and is right there. And I think you you have to understand that before you step into film and television, which is sensational. But what was ironic for me was I'd hear. Uh, you know my my theater friends say ah there are no good actors and oh an L A actor oh there's no good actors what the hell yeah you guys you, I'm a stager, you know right and then I'd say to them you know you know a couple of days or even a couple hours later I say so tell me tell me about your favorite you know your life changing performances invariably they were film they were not they were working in the theater but they had no that wasn't clearly what was there because they talk about George C Scott or they talk about De Niro um, and same thing, you know, I'd be around uh, film and television people and say, what the hell are you doing? You're going out of town for too much? You're going to go do that play? That's hard work. Why are you putting yourself through that? You don't need to do that anymore. And it's a good question. <laughs> but, uh, but on the other hand, you know, I think, of it like, um, I think of it like an artistic bank account. That, you know, if you get challenged in L.A., there's nothing like it. But you could coast quite a bit. And every so often, I think you have to make a deposit. You have to go back and, and refresh. And if you can do it at the Taper, I've worked at the Taper, La Jolla, The Globe, great. Sometimes you got to follow the role. There's a role that you have to do. And regardless of where it is, you've got to go do it, I think,
0: if you can. Well, when you move down here, I mean, as you said, you came from a long, a long background of theater. You've been in theater a long time. And as you know, the theater acting and TV acting is very different because, I mean, you know people don't people don't know this but when when it comes and I know people have been in you know theater productions it's hard work cuz you're you're it's not like it's not like you're on a set and you have breaks you're usually up there kicking ass for for 2 hours and it's usually you have mondays off you have two shows on sundays usually some places two shows on saturday so it's really i mean it, it really it, it it improves your acting so much i think also because every show is like practice it's like a baseball player you know baseball players are gonna get better through the years and and, and just like, you have your bad shows and you have to sit there and come back and do it and so your 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 acting bone is probably so strong how does it react to when you come down here and you're going to oh yeah uh read read a few lines when you're going wait read a few lines I, i'm used to to an hour at least an hour lines which stuff that you have to memorize and you have to deliver Pretty much the same the other night because people know people come back to see plays. How what what was he, what was it like for you getting used to an, like your auditions? Because it's it must have been a little like a plant a different planet. Yeah, you know it is it is
1: it's it's different in some essential ways, but in the big picture, it really you know it's all about telling the truth either in a a thousand seat theater or telling the truth in a very intimate frame. You know, but it's all about trying to scratch at something. One of the things that was very interesting to me, there was, there was this great casting director, and I was in the middle of uh, uh, Ron Sherma. It was, he used to do all the uh, um, Star Trek and other things, and he was the nicest man in the world. He's retired, uh, and I remember being in the audition. He, he would respond to theater credits because, you know, you had to speak gobbledygook in right. in Star Trek and Stargate and all of those things and uh, so he would call me in and I remember a big big lesson uh, I was in the middle of the audition and his the director was on the left and the producers were on the right and Ron was in the middle reading with me and in the middle of the audition he kept nodding his head and looking at me towards the producers because what I was doing was ex- exclusively auditioning for the director because I was a theater person and he was just pointing, no, include everyone. There, there. The director probably just came into the room 10 minutes before you in television. Right. Now, I mean, in film, it's a whole different thing. In film, it's very, very much about the director. But in, in television, it's about the producers and the writers who may or may not direct. Uh, but also, the other thing I had to learn, I had a wonderful teacher. Uh, you know, I had trained quite a bit. But when I came down here, there was an actor I knew from ACT, Ray Burke. And, you know, you have coffee, you make the rounds, and you you just check in with people. Maybe somebody has an answer or something, you know. And two things happened. He got me in, uh, he told me about a class he was taking that was the antithesis, really, of the rep training where it's all about the word and the language and, and this worship of literature. It was very much bare bones. and and cutting and about developing the actor. And that was very useful to me. It was a teacher named Milton Casales. It was the Saturday class. He had a a Saturday class that had an extraordinary group of people in it. Jeffrey Tambor was in it. Doris Roberts was in it. I mean, it was just people who still wanted to learn, you know. Uh, And he was very useful to me because he sort of sniffed me out and realized that, okay, so, you know, for me, it was all about not respecting the text, you know. But really experiencing the text. Okay. And that's a a big, big difference. The other huge thing that happened to me that sustained me is I had a friend, Dakin Matthews, and we went to see a friend of his in a play. The play was Tomorrow. Do you remember that play? Ran forever in L.A. But anyway, I was in town a couple of weeks, and uh, I just happened to see that play, and they were casting. So... The person we went to see asked my friend if I was an okay person, whether, you know, I was a psychopath or anything. And he said, no, 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 actually, he's okay. So uh, they called me in for an audition. And the guy knew my work, Phil Killian, knew my work from Berkeley Rep. And I got cast. Huge thing because it meant when most actors are like, what am I going to do? Or they're going to wait tables. Or they're going to do whatever they can to sustain that we have to do. I had a, I had a, <laughs> a, a Lort job. It was a production contract. I had a regular job that I with eight shows a week while I was getting an agent while I was doing all those things
0: huge and you could have gotten the agent to come and see your performance that's like you have that Ah, they don't want to come to the theater unless you're at the taper that they don't want to or the Amundsen (laughs) then they'll come or South Coast too so so now how does your transition to TV go I mean do you start getting roles pretty easily or does it take a little bit of time yeah you know the first uh, it it took
1: uh, frankly about I came in, like, February, and I didn't get my first job, I think, until the fall. But you got to realize, I signed with my agent. How's this for timing? I signed with my agent the day of the writer's strike <laughs> in, you know, in 88, 89, okay. whatever. That's when I signed. So, needless to say, there was nothing. But I escaped for the summer and went to the Old Globe and did did a play and then came back, and things began. The first job was uh, it was an interesting lesson, was L.A. Law it was a a bartender at a at a biker uh bar and i walked in these were, you know the room was filled with hell's angels and bikers <laughs> you know so i'm thinking, well, you know what the hell am i doing here i'm never going to but for some reason i did get cast and it was very very interesting and uh, you know that was the beginning uh and uh you know i learned uh, i just learned by watching i always tried to you know watch the other actors and uh um uh, and some actors were actually
0: very very kind to me yeah. now now one of your roles was in seinfeld right now were you a fan of the show when you went oh or, huge fan. i mean did you know because they because as i said me and my girlfriend watch that all the time now and and it's so funny because i so many of my guests have been on seinfeld like you're watching you oh my god so now were you excited to audition for that role or did you know i mean it would be you oh, know h- huge Excited because uh, it
1: was one of the few comedies that make me it made me laugh a lot. My wife knew when I was watching Seinfeld, and also I'm uh, I'm uh, I'm a hard sell in situation comedy, but not in so I've done the odd ones. There was Titus, and I've done maybe three or four, uh, but Seinfeld was just you know sensational. Uh, you know to have because it's an iconic show. It was a type of humor that I got. You know, I mean, I can't tell you every time I see Elaine get excited and push someone. Right. That's sort of what I grew up with, you know, you know, it was that kind of stuff. So it really sort of tickled me. And it was smart. It was very, very smart. And um, so people to this day still remember that. I mean, that was, Well, that's, I don't
0: know. And now it came out on, you're a Rushdie. Yes, right. Yeah, so now, and it's out on Hulu. So, you know, and that's what I was laugh is. Now there's a whole new generation of kids watching it. And then you were you were on two episodes, I believe.
1: I was on two episodes. Yeah, I had my uh, love interest was Terry Hatcher. Yeah, it's funny. I had my love interest in various episodics have been Terry Hatcher, obviously, and uh, Marsha Cross from Desperate Housewives. I mean, there's been a bunch of them. Uh, yeah, yeah,
0: they, they're they're hooking you up, man. Yeah, that's <laughs> right.
1: right. Well, very seldom, very seldom. But but when I did. You know, Wes
0: hooked up. They were very, very wonderful. So as you're getting these TV spots, you know, and it's the thing, like with Seinfeld, it was one of those shows that it was the industry watched it. Right. Now, did that get you some more doors opening? No. No? (laughs) I mean, because I think sometimes people watch it and they go, oh, yeah, we saw that guy on that.
1: You know, there's so many. I I can't tell you. You can prepare as much as you want, Steve, but so so much of it is luck. I got my agent, really. I got good recommendations. He had clients. that He liked the theater. It was J. Michael Bloom. It's a mid-level agent at the time, a very good agent. Back when they would actually develop people, back when they would take the time to to be patient. And uh, so the reason I got him finally was because I knew his college roommate by accident. You know, I mean, it is so random. And he he gave me a kind of credibility instantly. And I, you know, they sent me out to meet. Various casting people. It doesn't happen anymore. Now you feel like it's a lottery. You know, they take as
0: many clients as they can and they throw them at the wall. You know? What I also notice is, though, and I don't think this happens as much, you were working on a lot of series. Yeah. I mean, back then, you know, as you were getting guest stars. And now you don't see it as much. You don't see someone. I mean, I look at you, you know, the West Wing and, you know, Charmed and Alias and all three, like all in one year. And you yeah, don't yeah. see it as much anymore. And it must have been really great. I mean, it must have been great for you for doing these all these roles, but were you also trying to do theater at the time?
1: Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. I would go out of town. Uh, like I said, you know, I'd go out of town to ACT or Berkeley Rep or Williamstown or, or the Globe or La Jolla uh, just because there's a point, there's a point where, as an actor where you know when you walk in the room, you wouldn't hire yourself. You know, you just, you know, it, it's, you need a break. You need to go out and just simply do the work. Just simply work on this play and not be distracted by a million other things, as tends to happen in L.A. Uh, so I would, I would definitely do that, and uh, you know, and I still, you know, when I can, try to do that. Um, it's harder, it's harder now, uh, also because even in uh, even in stage, the roles get uh, the roles that you want to leave town for aren't as, uh, there just aren't as many as they used to be.
0: Well, your career, I mean, as you're working, I know on West Wing you played an ambassador. Mm. Now, what is that? I mean, that must be great. When someone says we want you to audition, I mean, that's just the cool role. Is, that, is yeah. that? I mean, what when you sit there and they say an ambassador and it's such a big show, I mean, is is it, do you nerve up a little bit or do you sit there and go, you know what? I've been on a stage all this time. This is no big thing. Well, you know, the stage helps you uh, uh, to a certain
1: degree because you're used to the uh, the people in the room. But you do get nervous. It depends. It's surprising. You know, it all has to do. Some days it's as easy. It just flows. And other days, you know, it can be awful. But The West Wing definitely gets your radar up because the writing was so good, the politics and all of that. It was such a smart show. But what was interesting on the episode I did, I shot my first day was the day after John Spencer won the Emmy, okay. And, and and you know, there are actors like John Spencer and Dennis Franz. those are the guys that who I find a lot of uh, sort of theater actors, character guys gravitate towards because they they floated to the surface somehow. they you know, they broke through, but they were, you know, they're character guys. And you're so happy when you see someone like that get a break. Well, he won the Emmy. And the next day, he was a little spooked, I could tell, because now, as he said, he says, I have to be as good as I never was. Right. You know what I mean? (laughs) Now he had to live up. So that's what I really remember about the West, shooting the West Wing, is oddly enough, I was more concerned with, you know, because he had had a big night, you know. Uh, But I I love the variety, you know, I love, uh, you know, it was a non, nondescript uh, um, Middle Eastern country, the ambassador. Uh, And, uh, you know, I love that. I love the when you're allowed to transform there's so many things where you're only a lo- you know you live like a talking head you know and you know i love i love it when you can really truly transform into something and, and you'll be surprised you know where you can find it i mean you know both the zorro films i found were really interesting for me uh, in terms of wearing the clothes in terms of you know being out there on the horses and wearing the clothes and the period aspect those were Terrific uh, things, and uh, and even doing. I did an episode of Angel one time, and it was a really, you know, a, a, a demon of paranoia. W- really wonderful role, though. And I'm looking at it, and this guy, you know, he's, you know, and he's got, uh he's on a camera arm. They're going to float him on a camera arm. He's got big tentacles. Now I ask you, you know, so I'm thinking, how the hell am I going to do this? I don't want to. I don't want to. So I thought, oh, I know. I'm actually going to play him sort of like... Because he, he's hungry uh, for to make people paranoid. That's that's like his appetite. So I thought, oh, I know, I'll play it sort of like barbecue. So, hmm, I don't know about you, but I'm stiff. You know, so he almost go completely against sort of what what he looked like. And Josh Whedon
0: was, uh, was the guy, and uh, uh, he sort of let me get away with it. <laughs> See that must be great, cause you I mean, and you play different roles. You play a doctor. You played all different roles. Now you were in Blow. Yeah. Now, now, what was that experience like? Cause that was, I'm, I'm fascinated. I, I I'm fascinated by like mob movies, drug movies. I, I'll sit there and I'll watch the documentaries. Like, like A and E has like, oh yeah, drug kingpins, and they, it just fascinates me the stories. Cause one, I always sit there and think, the balls these people have. I mean, the fact that they, they run these huge drug conglomerates and that's what they are in cities and they they don't it's like they don't even care that's that they can get caught and that's what that's what's amazing but now how did how did blow come about well you know blow uh
1: how does blow come uh, come about uh it just sort of fell into my lap a little bit what was interesting about blow is originally the character i was playing was a military guy so that he was a little bit more formal it was a little bit more uh, and, but by the time we actually shot it they had changed him into a campesino you know so now i've got this family around me so it took a little bit of you know mm, twirling my head around and ted demi who uh, directed that uh, film uh, i knew there were problems with the script you know but you're coming into a film with johnny depp you know what i mean so you, you got to just be aware that there's a pecking order but i have to say i got there that morning We had a little session in the wagon where we talked about the script Ted Demi, Johnny Depp, and myself. Now, I can only say I've been in other situations where that has not happened, where you just are handed, they've worked on it and you're handed it. And if you've got the questions, yeah, well, you know, save them. Uh, And that wasn't the case. So what I remember is how inclusive that was and how how wonderful Ted Demi was. Also, to this day, I've never seen a more exciting opening sequence. The processing of the cocaine is. Just, right, you know, sensational filmmaking. Um, but it made a big difference. You know, again, that was a that was a movie that people uh, watched. You know, it's funny. A movie that really helped me was uh, a it was a very small movie, but a, by a filmmaker who I always loved. He was sort of like a, a kind of Woody Allen. You know, in that you don't miss. The film, if you can't. It was John Sayles. Right. And I did Lone Star. And I had loved The Brother from Another Planet, Secaucus 7. He did Matawan. Matawan. He did just tons of film. And I was doing uh, uh, doing Iago at ACT. And it was one of those things. My agent said, they just lost someone. They're, They're really looking for this. They want you to put something on tape. So back in the VHS days, right. you know, I had a you friend did camcorder it. Camcorder's <laughs> out, and the cat is walking through the my buddy's cat is walking through the frame, and uh, but you know we send it off FedEx it. There's no uh, emailing, and I take him out to lunch, you know, as a thank you, uh, and I got the job, and it was two things that were interesting by that because uh, as an actor you can always feel incomplete, you know, if I only I could work with that director. If only I, you know, that that would somehow fill the hole of our insecurity that we always have, and maybe is a good thing. A little fear is not a bad thing. And you realize I worked with John Sayles. He said nothing to me. He said like, you know, two things
0: to me the entire shoot. Not really, not so. So you, you, I guess in in the actor's mind, either what you should be thinking is I'm doing a good job. Right. He's not talking. To you. But we, what we think is I'm screwing something up. And right. he, or he just doesn't like me. And that's- well, it, yeah, it was a big revelation that, no, no, you know,
1: I was doing a good job. Right. And he was happy. <laughs> and But how it made a difference. So I had that experience, and that, you know, it was nominated, uh, I guess he was nominated for a screenplay for an Academy Award. So people saw that film, and it's a different kind of filmmaking. It's almost like a novel. You know, there's not rush, not, and it was a terrific role. Uh, well, you cut to a couple of years later, I'm finally at an audition for the first Zorro. That's Martin Campbell. And he says, I know you. And I say, oh, well, that's, that's great. And I'm thinking he's, he's seen something. No, 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 I know you. And to make a long story short, he was an independent filmmaker and a big fan of John Sayles, and he had just seen Lone Star. So now there's 12 other, you know, they've seen probably, I don't know, 80 actors for this part. At least, you know, there's uh, eight other actors, five of which I know, four of which could do the role and pretty much any any one of us could have done the role, so you then go into the audition, you have to do a good audition, but you also have to intimate how much fun it's going to be to work together, right. You know, so they'll you know, you do it straight up and then he gives he gives you bad direction actually, to go in a whole way that a whole different way that is completely um, really inappropriate for the character. But I think they do that sometimes just to watch your reaction, probably, yeah, so, and I did it. It's like. Fine, whatever you want. And I, I, always, I always said to my wife, I said, you know, I bet I got that part because he felt, is it probably a $70 million movie or whatever. And he probably felt, well, because I have to be somewhat careful. And he said, well, if it was good enough for John Sayles, he's right. fine
0: for me. And so, I, you know, I think that job made a difference. So, so you're, you're working these good movies and TV shows. I know, like, in practice, you played a doctor, CSI, you played a, a handwriting analysis. Right. You're playing these roles and then, you know, you're, you're doing you're doing work. Now, what, what kind of roles were you getting? Were you getting called out for all different kinds of roles or a lot of professor or because you have, you have the professorly look and uh,
1: as I've gotten older, yeah, it's more, more professorial, but you know, it's, uh, before that I was playing, you know, a lot of heavies, you know, uh, because simply the way I look, you know, the way I look and, uh, I was playing, you know, uh, drug dealers and weirdos and and uh, sort of villains. And then I got older, a little bit older, and I played drug dealers with money. Right. And uh, <laughs> you know, and now I had the house and the dogs and the, and, you know, and only you know later that I, you know, eventually uh, get a chance to uh, to go inside. You know, I, I I always say as an actor, you have to re- you have to accept that. You have to know and accept what you look like and uh, how you're gonna be cast and you use you're trying to get in the door you're trying to just simply get into the parade and then later on you you know you're dreaming about what you could be doing the other types of roles you can be doing you know about adding hard and adding. You know, the other aspects of you that your friends know about, or even your parents say, why don't they cast you as a right. nice person? <laughs> don't they know you're a nice person? Uh, no, they don't, and they don't care. Uh, so those those things happen. So you're always sort of dreaming and and and, and hoping uh, that something will break that will
0: give you uh, something of interest. Now, you were on Stargate, yeah. which was a, uh, a a sci-fi show yeah and so the sci-fi shows have very big big followings so now and you were it was you ran on that show for a long time now when you had was that your first shot at a sci-fi role and then when you sit there because you know we all think about it i mean i know acting's acting and you know you just get your role but it's like and especially it's sci-fi so you don't know you know, the blow, you, you can base it on something. You know, uh, any show, you know, you're playing a handwriting analysis. You can look it up. But sci-fi, we can't base it on anything because because it's never happened. I mean, when you when you started doing that role, did you think you'd be coming back? Or was you think it would be a one-off? Or how did that all start? Because you came back tons of times. You know, yeah, it's uh,
1: I did like 26 right. of those things. And uh, I have to say, initially, I had uh, no interest. Uh, you know, I had seen the, the Stargate movie. And it was fine, you know. I mean, I enjoyed it. Kurt Russell, you know. But it was really what I was exciting about, excited about. I had just finished Zorro. And I came back. It was my first audition back. And going to Vancouver, you know, I had, had such a great time traveling through Vancouver that I was very excited to go work there. Uh, and uh, so... That was it. I didn't think of it. But I have to say, for for sci-fi, I don't treat it any differently. It's not like, I, you know, I really try to... Good sci-fi is never about the future or anything. It's always about a present, a present concern, okay. either a dystopian or a hope for a utopian, but it's never really about, you know, what's going to happen to us 400 years. It's, you know, it's the anxiety about, you know, and you look at all the good sci-fi, if you look at, uh, you know... Um, Alien and and, you know Star Wars and uh, uh, you know the Ridley Scott stuff you know it's always it's got this sort of base note but the great thing I have to say about Stargate was that it was just a lot of fun to work on it was fun going up to Vancouver Uh, the people were great and I had a great character Uh, I uh, it was not a recurring character the chemistry was good with this other actor, Chris Judge, who I played a sort of mentor to. Richard Dean Anderson was in it. Uh, he was the, the star of it. But I've always found that um, that if a casting person or someone is, is baiting you with um, recurring, 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 they're trying to get you cheap right you know and invariably it doesn't work out even if they had honest intentions which they don't always but it, it doesn't really always work out and Stargate was so organic uh, because you know I did one episode one season then I did it I think another episode the next then I did two the following then three and then by the end I was doing like six a year and it was uh, it was so great to feel a part of something it was so great you know as a guest a guest uh, star, you go on to the show, it tends to be loaded. Your stuff tends to be loaded at the beginning of the episode. And so you always feel, and you're new. Right. And you feel like everyone's sort of, you know, watching you, you, you know. And meanwhile, they, later on, you realize they're not thinking about you at all. They're trying to memorize the next episode because they've been <laughs> working on the last one, you know. Uh, but, you know, so Stargate, I could go up and really uh, feel comfortable uh, yeah
0: now would you get a certain fan base from that that people oh, yeah. would recognize you i mean did they come up to you I mean because sci-fi fans are fanatical I mean yeah. how does that i mean for you because you know you play you' back in all these years but all of a sudden you have a it's your sci-fi it's a different fan base well it's
1: always interesting you know
0: i I don't want to give the wrong impression
1: i'm not I, I'm not uh you know hounded the way you know some but you know I am recognized uh, and it's always interesting when I see the Glint, when I see the recognition happen in someone's eyes, I play a little game, which is I try to pick where they know me from. Okay. So, I mean, the people that know me from the more straight work, straight dramatic work, uh, the people who know me from the sci-fi, and then the real ones, the people who know me from Dexter. Well, I was going to ask you <laughs> about Dexter. <laughs> you know, those are always sort of very, very interesting. But, you know, the sci-fi, I have to say, uh, it's such a cross section of people there are of course the um uh the sci-fi geek sort of uh, fandom thing but in the last 10-15 years that is so mainstream now i remember going to comic con and there was hardly any hollywood sort of there it was really about now oh it's crazy it's crazy so you know so they realized how strong a base those fans are because they will not only see it once they might see it eight times you know uh, so it, it's very interesting to be uh, uh, you know I've I've had a pilot air Italia uh, you know who <laughs> wanted to meet me and I'm thinking you know I'd rather you fly the plane right. you know <laughs> I'd, rather you, I'd rather you fly the plane uh, but it, and it's also allowed me to travel a little bit I've gone uh, you know I've done a couple of the uh, you know conventions uh, you know I did one in Prague that opened how's this for a sci-fi convention it opened with a live string quartet you know i mean it's they're all so different than right. people uh you know there there are a lot of scientists there are a lot of people that are uh, a lot of uh, information uh you know sort of computer people uh it's sort of fascinating uh, in italy i met a a woman who was an antiquities uh, restorer so you know i ended up spending four days with her in florence and she gave me the tour well that was you know very very special and, you know, being a sci-fi
0: fan was only one aspect of her life, it wasn't. But that must be cool, because you go into these, and, and that's the good thing, is you get to go somewhere, I mean, I'm sure you can sit there and go through conventions, and you go, hey, you know what, I I, I wouldn't mind going there, and then, you know, you can go there, and you know, you, you're going to have the chance to, to meet people who are fans of yours, and they're going to be the people that can show you the cool areas of the city, like, the the stuff that normal people wouldn't know. Right. That's, you know, that's the fun thing about,
1: you know, having a, a, a privileged, uh, sort of presence in any any city, particularly when you're shooting a movie, too. Uh, because now you could ask, you know, if you're down in Manzanillo or you're down in some... You know, you can ask, you know, some of the local guys, Well, you know, where do you go to drink? Where do you go to eat? Where do you get a nice meal? Something romantic. Uh, I always love that because I, I love traveling, but I enjoy it much more when I'm working because I don't feel the burden of, oh, my God, it's Tuesday. I have eight days. I better have a good... Right. You know, I uh, I like being there with a purpose as well because i can entertain if i have time off and you you do generally on films i can i can entertain myself
0: now your role in dexter yeah now you were uh you were the reason why dexter's mom is dead right. basically you created dexter I right? one of the reasons now what was that role like because th- that was one of those shows and i first started watching it and some people told me about it and then people did that that's one of those shows that really built momentum and what is it like playing on that show? Because one, people, even though Dexter was a killer, people loved Dexter, and there must have been a you must have of people who just hated you. I mean, because your character. I mean, what is what is that like? Because unfortunately, sometimes people can't make a distinction between actor and character.
1: Yeah, yeah, you know, it's it's very weird because sometimes I mean that was that's an example of people, um, you know, getting a little bit too lost in the the illusion of it and you also have the upside is is they think you're very very bright if you play professors they somehow you know the writers right. the drives writers crazy of course <laughs> they, i wrote that what the, why are you flirting with him i'm the one This in my mind uh but uh yeah dexter was very very uh peculiar it was you know entering a very very dark world but it sort of um it feeds on our our sense of vigilante justice you know, vigilantism is a terrible, you know, terrible thing when it goes awry. Right. You know, and it, it evades law. But, it's, you know, something primal about someone who just deserves to, you know. The interesting thing about playing that part is I had to forget everything I knew because I did, I, in the least, I did several, I did three episodes. And the first episode, I have no idea who the hell he is. It's only later on that I find out that, you know, when he gets me on the table, as it were. So our opening stuff was very intense. So I was, I was essentially doing a scene about a bar fight and an unruly patron. And Michael Paul was doing a scene about the guy trying to stop himself from killing the man who killed his mother. So it was an intent, It was just the two of us. The whole day was, it was just the bar fight and that scene. And it, 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 was, it was really, really amazing. And it was exhausting. And uh, uh, we didn't use any stunt guys. They were there. But, I mean, so it was, I mean, it was, it was a very satisfying day. I loved that scene in the bar, too. And, uh, you know, I went home, you know, had a little bite to eat, a little toddy, a little muscle relaxant. Right. <laughs> <laughs> went to bed with a smile on my face. But uh, he was, it was a good day. He was someone I had, you know, respected, uh, who, whose work I really liked. And he was very, very uh, wonderful to work with uh, because he had to go. Very, very uh, sort of deep. It was fun watching.
0: What was it like being in the kill room?
1: Oh, that's really weird because you're sort of, you know, you're half, pretty much naked. You're right. wrapped up in saran wrap. I mean, it's a little... Uh, Did you get a little claustrophobic? Uh, you I mean, do.
0: Cause it's, and it's probably, it's not like it's loose because he puts it tight. You're oh, gonna, no, it's tight. So now, as, I mean, how do you, I mean, that's the thing is like, if you're laying there and you get an itch on your face, you're screwed. What do you do? Well,
1: you know, it's, it's funny you say that. I didn't... Somehow, there's so many things you can overcome, even little phobias. When you're, because uh, I'm a little cla- claustrophobic. Okay. Uh, when you're uh, working, the one that replaced the uh, the uh, little bit of claustrophobia uh, phobia, and that one was the oh my god, I gotta pee. Okay. <laughs> you know, you got three hours, and oh, gee. you know, because they'll you know they'll let you out,
0: but it's it's sort it's of it's a process. It's and a they gotta rewrap you, and they're yeah, probably going. Takes- We want to get the shot. There's a game on.
1: But it's weird. You know, there are strange, strange uh, things that happen. Like that one, I just every so often as an actor, in the middle of it, or you pull out and you see the bigger picture. Oh, my God, look at what I'm doing for a living. Look at this scene. And there's a guy above me with a chainsaw and blood in his eyes. (laughs) You know, and it it reminded me uh, actually of doing Once Upon a Time. We were shooting the pilot of Once Upon a Time where I played Geppetto, and it's like 2.30 in the morning, and no one knows, you know, if it's going to last, what it is, any of those things, and we're sitting at a table. The only thing in the room is a table, chairs, and a couple of columns. The rest is all green screen. Everything is green screen. So it's surreal to begin with, and, and it's 2.30 in the morning, and I think, oh, well, this is interesting. I'm doing a scene with Snow White, Prince Charming, uh, Red Riding Hood, Grumpy and uh, the, the rest of the dwarves and uh, Jiminy Cricket who happens to be a grip with a fishing rod. You know and, and you just smile and think oh my god.
0: You know it's a hell of a thing to do for a living. <laughs> right right. You know it really is sort of sweet right there. Uh, well how did how did they I mean how many takes does it take to kill you in a scene like like in Dexter? Oh
1: back in Dexter.
0: Uh, well, I, you know, I refused to die in it. So, you know, you,
1: you never want to die. Right. Because then they can't bring you back. Exactly. I'm not dead. I'm not, no. Uh, it was a full day. You know, it was a full day. We had an exterior thing. There's a shot of me where he, he drugs me. There's a photograph running around to that. And then the rest of it. So it, uh, and it's only my side. You know, really I had to lie down, but I wasn't as, um, strapped in when they were shooting up at, uh, at Dexter. Uh, but you know, so that's probably a good five on my side, a good five or six hours. So, and I, I I'm very pleased to say I only I only had to go to the bathroom once. See, uh, that's good. That's that's good. good. And
0: if someone was me with a chainsaw, I'd be peeing myself. <laughs> now, once upon a time, you mentioned now that's an that's another new fan base, another different genre, because you go from Dexter to being people hate you. to one, I mean, everyone loves geppetto Right? How once, can you not? And once upon a time is one of those ones, as you said, when it came out, I don't, you know, it's like anything with TV now. You, it's, it's a crapshoot, and you don't know if the show, because you know, you know, you don't know if a show like that's going to do well. And it got very received very well. So what's it like for you now? Because you probably have a, a different fans recognizing you who probably don't even know you were in dexter because they didn't see dexter it must be weird i mean how what kind of fans are watching one by the time it was it was did, have you enjoyed playing that part
1: you know i enjoyed it very much because it's a family show you know and it's a, a sort of uh it's really a, a female centric show about female empowerment in many ways and i remember when i got the call i was out somewhere else and my agent said uh okay you know i have this pilot audition for you tomorrow it's an abc pilot you really should look at it, and I said, well, well, you know, what is it? He said, it's, um, you know, fairy tales, and I'm thinking, oh, fine, fine." And then I went home that night, and boy, it was really good. The pilot, I thought, was sensational, and I really liked the script. And when I went in for the audition, there wasn't much for my character to audition with, so uh, I knew I was coming back, and they they said, well, you know, it's definitely a recurring thing. Uh, So they made me audition. I'm pretty certain it was a scene from Rushmore. As if, you know, as if you were the this concerned dad. Uh, and it went very, very well. It went just so, uh, uh, so I wasn't surprised when they called. Uh, sometimes you are surprised when you get a job. But what was so great in part about doing that as uh, I had worked up in Vancouver. So I knew a lot of the people, particularly a lot of the crew. So that helped. I wasn't so, you know, a strange person. There were a lot of camera and other people that I was very familiar with. But the other thing is, midway through it, uh, I got cast in a series up there uh, called Continuum. Right. Now, what was interesting is I was playing those simultaneously. And the great thing for an actor is Geppetto is all about, he's not a thinking guy, he's a feeling guy. It's all about the heart and, and, and just this desperate need to, to, to have a family and belong and to, you know, to pass something on. This, uh, it, it's just so strong in him beyond anything. And the great thing about Once Upon a Time is this wasn't your typical Geppetto? There were a couple of scenes in there where he was really, you know, he. As a matter of fact, uh, he he makes some choices and puts his son in front of the other leads, uh, um, the central character Henry. You know, he puts, uh, excuse me, Emma. Uh, he puts his son in front of that, which is so human. That's the anger I got from all the fans. How could you not do? How could you not allow Emma to go through the thing? And you put, you put you selfish, you put you through. And I always say, well, if you had any children, you'd understand. Right. And you know, it's and the other thing I always say, and just remember this: there wouldn't be a series if I didn't do that.
0: Right. Exactly.
1: <laughs> but uh, but uh, I got cast in this other series called Continuum. And this guy, his name is Kagami, and he was a real, real cerebral. Ends justify the means. Based, my character was based on the Occupy movement. Believe it or not, it was the Occupy movement gone very, very violent, okay, outrageously violent. And so, th- and so he was a very gray character. You find out later on that you know he has the best of intentions, but his means were just outrageous. So it was such a great gift to go and play one episode where it was all about the heart and this gentleness and this warmth. You know uh, that I could release, and then go to this other series where it was just very cold. I must, I must be great. Oh, yeah. It's really transition. It felt like
0: acting. <laughs> now, now we only have a few minutes left. Um, now, what else is coming up? I know you, well, you. you were. Did you? Was your CBS Cyber on yet? Uh, yeah, CBS Cyber's on. Uh,
1: trying to think. What it is I, I did. Uh, I have uh, a film, a very uh, sweet film called The Meddler. It's just Susan Sarandon. Uh, that should be out in winter. I have, uh, you know, a couple of scenes in that, and then a very, very dark film uh, called uh, *The Devil's Candy*, where I play a, uh, a Satan-like art dealer, sort of a s- seducing young talent. Uh, and I've been doing, uh, actually, uh, I've started doing voice work uh, maybe in the last 18 months. Did, do you rich. like a voice work? I do, I do. You know, it, I like it because it's new too so it's uh you know some motion capture i'm in the I uh, have a recurring thing i do in world of warcraft which is a uh, sort of fun uh cadgar uh, and then i'm in the new call of Duty's black Ops 3 you know where i play a strange doctor
0: so you're you're doing you're doing some video games for your yeah, voice work
1: yeah you know you, i find you you have to uh just keep afloat you know just keep as many uh, balls in the air as possible uh and also you know so you have this very adult uh, uh call of duty and then i just did the narration for land before time No, you know, which is the little dinosaur guys you know how, so, how did that come about you know uh it came about because uh f- f- practicality uh you get older all you have to do is watch television and, you know, sometimes you think, what the hell, my agent's not doing anything. What the hell's going on? Well, you watch television for a week, and you won't see anything that you're really, truly suited for, you know, age-wise and those things. So, uh, just to keep afloat, also the economics of the business has changed. The video games are just outrageously uh, popular, so, and it's something you can do. Uh, it really is not, it's not determined by your age or by uh, uh, how you look. It truly is in that way uh, more um, imaginative and more uh, uh, pure in a kind of way. And uh, I just like to keep busy. Busy. I do better. Uh, yeah. Do you do stage anymore? Yeah, I just did. Uh, I just I did King Lear. Oh, where, where was that? At the Utah Shakespeare Festival. An old friend, uh, Sharonat, uh, who was a director for many years up at Berkeley, and uh, I've done two plays for her there. I did Merchant of Venice, where I did. Uh, Shylock, and it was a chance to do Lear, and it sort of scared me. And I thought, if not now,
0: when? You know, what's it like to go back on stage after, like, you know, because I mean, you do a lot of TV, and it's like that's your beginning, and it's like it's like a full circle. You know, it's like, well, I did all this TV, and 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 you like, I can still do stage. It must be a great feeling.
1: Well, you know, I I really try that when I have downtime, which you do. I try to work on things. So I, you know, I would I put up a thing of Huey. I belong to a company in North Hollywood. the antias company you know so i've done uh, you know a year ago last summer i was in an Oedipus project so i try to do a, at least the play a year and i mean just recently i did and do readings so i try so to answer your question i didn't feel out i think i surprised people because everyone expects you to be sort of out of
0: practice and right i really i really wasn't out of practice Well, that's cool though yeah. it's good i mean you've had some great stories i'm glad you came by and uh and so, so now you, as I'm saying, Dexter must be crazy because people are all seeing that. Like all these stuff are popular with with binge watching. Right. All these people were seeing you. That you know, it's just is weird. It must be weird for an, an actor because you know you sit there and you think Seinfeld was a to ago. Dexter was a while ago. Then all of a sudden, there's all these new fans. It must be it must be weird as an actor because people just start watching this stuff again.
1: Yeah, you know that that's helped uh, a lot. Having uh, Hulu and all of all of these things have been. Uh have been really sort of wonderful and uh but you know you just never know as an act particularly a character guy there's been a couple of times where I thought it was done I thought you know it was over and and you want to get yourself in a mental state that you smile and say it's been a nice run and I'm just going to you know and I remember I got uh, my agent right now is uh you know it's aka Greg Klein, wonderful agent. And he, I said, "What can I do? What can I do? Is there anything I can do to to help you? Is there anything?" And he said, "Get older." See that? And he was right.
0: <laughs> well, I want to thank you for coming on. And now, people, check out his website, TonyAmandola.com. He he said he said updated, but it's got clips, it's got voice, it's got a bunch of stuff, and it's it's a great reference point. And now, and then, you know, are you are you on Twitter? I am uh, tmamandola. And follow him on Twitter. And yeah, follow me on Twitter. It's at Cooper Talk. Don't forget. So go to Tony's website. Go to my website, coopertalk.net. I have over 430 episodes up there. You can email me, cooper, coopertalk.net. You can go with your uh, Android tablet. Go to the Google Play Store. There's a Cooper Talk app. You can hear all my shows on there. iTunes, Stitcher, one word, Cooper Talk. And don't forget my website, stopthesalt.com. When I went through my heart problem, I wrote that cookbook. It's 120 low-sodium, easy-to-make recipes. You don't need to be able to cook. You don't need a bunch of ingredients. And there's no pictures to intimidate you. So get it there on my website. You can get it at Barnes & Noble or you can get it at uh, Amazon. But if you get it from StopTheSalt.com, I make more money and I'll sign it. So anyway, people, uh, check out TonyAmandola.com. Follow him on Twitter. Follow me on Twitter. I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guest. Don't forget, drink your water, eat your vegetables, take your vitamins. I will talk to you guys next week.